Q&A on all topics for long-term care facilities. A conversation with the healthcare experts at Quality Insights. Good afternoon, and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19-related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who's interested to attend. Today, we'll be having a Q&A on all topics for long-term care facilities. We have a panel of Quality Insights healthcare experts here today to discuss frequently asked questions, including questions submitted prior to this webinar. And now I'd like to briefly introduce today's panelists. First, I'll introduce our quality improvement specialists. Deborah Wright is our QI specialist for East Central and Northeast Pennsylvania. Patty Austin is QI specialist for Western Pennsylvania. Penny Imes is QI specialist for North and South Central Pennsylvania. And Christopher Henry is QI specialist for all counties in West Virginia. And joining us also is Jennifer Brown, our infection preventionist, and Dr. Jean Storm, Quality Insights Medical Director. So welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. We'll begin by responding to some Q&As that we received prior to today's call, and we'll start with Deb to answer a couple questions about reporting. So Deb, you wanted to provide a clarification to a question from a previous Q&A. The question asked, if our facility starts to administer the annual influenza vaccine prior to October 1st, how will that affect our quality measures since the current influenza season is considered October 1st through March 31st? Yes, Kathy. So after um, that last call, when that question was brought up, I had said, you know, I would do some research and find out. And um, I reached out to a colleague who was able to talk with a subcontractor that works with CMS and the REI um, updates. And she said that, yes, it would still be counted. Um, any ARD, and I think that's the key in this, is any ARD that is completed October 1st through June 30th should be coded at that influenza question, which is um, zero um, or O0250A as yes even if they was given in September and then at 250B would be the September date. So that would um, then give credit for um, having given that influenza vaccine during the influenza season. Okay, thanks, Deb. And the next question is, when I log into NHSN to submit my weekly COVID vaccination data, both forms open together. Why is this happening and how do I fix it? Yeah, so um, NHSN put out a notice last week, and honestly, I've been going in um, a couple times last week and this week to see if I can recreate um, the problem that they're saying happens, and, and I don't see it. So um, all I can do is say what the workaround is. They do hope to have it fixed um, by February 18th. But they, they have advised that if you um, didn't enter the data into the healthcare personnel section of the form, when it's displaying, I guess what's happening is the healthcare personnel is somehow displaying at the same time as the resident um, vaccination information. So if that happens and you click save and you think it went, it probably did not save correctly. So they said um, to really make sure that when you open up for that week's reporting, if for whatever reason the information is together on one form, is to back out of it. And hopefully when you when you come back in, there should be two tabs at the top of the screen 
and you want to click on each one separately, the COVID-19 healthcare personnel, and complete that and save it, and then open it again and go over across the top where it says resident and click on that. And hopefully it would save, um, save that correctly. Um, you want to make sure that the way you could really make sure that that went through is when you're on that screen that the calendar view where it shows each week and you have those green lines of resident vaccination status and healthcare personnel vaccinations, you want to make sure that both lines are green. If they're not both green, then one of them did not go through. Um, and they said, or you can continue to submit um, using your CSV files with that person level vaccination form. So hopefully, like I said, I tried to recreate the error that they're stating. I, I couldn't. Um, so whether they've already fixed it or whether it just does, just didn't happen for me, I'm not sure. But if that is happening for you, that's that's how what the workaround is. Okay, thanks, Deb. Um, our next question is about infection prevention. So these are for you, Jennifer. This question says, is our facility still required to test new admissions for COVID? Hi, uh, yes, uh, testing is recommended at admission. And if negative, again, 48 hours after the first negative test, um, and if negative again after the 48 hours, after the second negative test, um, it should be um, complete then. In general, admissions in counties where the community transmission levels are high, uh, they should be tested on admission. Um, admission testing at lower levels, of community transmission is at the discretion of the facility. Um, newly admitted res residents should also be advised to wear stress control uh, for the first 10 days following their admission. And residents who leave the facility longer than 24 hours should generally be managed as a new admission as well. Um, this next question says, should a resident that has COVID symptoms but a rapid POC test that is negative be placed on transmission-based precautions? Yes, uh, per CMS guidelines, residents with COVID symptoms should be tested immediately. Um, if the rapid point of care test is negative, a PCR test should be completed for confirmation uh, just because you know sometimes it doesn't show up right away. Uh, while the PCR tests are pending, uh, residents with signs and symptoms of COVID-19 should be placed on transmission-based precautions um, in, in accordance with CDC guidance. Once the test results are, you know, um, you have those, the facility can take the appropriate actions based on the result. All right, thanks, Jen. This next question is for Christopher. You recently said that CMS made changes in the reporting and recording of healthcare personnel immunizations. Could you review the changes for me to make sure I am in compliance? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to answer that. Um, the reporting period, of course, we just mentioned a minute ago, is from October 1st to March 31st, uh, each flu season. So we're still in the middle of this reporting season. Um, facilities must activate the NHSN healthcare personnel safety component uh, in that uh, to report their healthcare staff <clears throat> vaccination summary. Facilities uh, must submit all data, whether it's for the numerator and denominator. And uh, 
if they want to, <clears throat> they can track it monthly in their own system. But the final summary is due or the final data is required to be due in the NHSN by May 15th of this year. Uh, that is the new change. Um, but if anyone has any questions, they can put something in chat. Thank you, Christopher. Um, this next question is for uh, Dr. Jean Storm. Uh, it says, we have a resident who is receiving a PRN as well as scheduled antipsychotic due to agitated behaviors associated with dementia. Pharmacy consultant recommended GDR and the physician agreed and wrote in order to start GDR. Family refused GDR. What should we do? So I think this is a, a really great question and timely because we know CMS is going to be really looking at our appropriate use of antipsychotic medications. And I'm sure many of you heard that um, there's been some questions about inappropriate use of schizophrenia diagnosis for antipsychotic use. Um, so we really need to look at our antipsychotics closely. We know that they're not indicated for treatment of behaviors associated with dementia. CMS has placed a, placed a 14 day limit on the use of these PRNs. And you should be really at your, your physicians to be looking at these PRN antipsychotics every 14 days. And in this case, it sounds like the physician was on board to start a gradual dose reduction of the antipsychotic. So we know that that PRN order can only be extended if the benefits outweigh the risks. And I would make sure that you're discussing your plan with your entire interdisciplinary team because they can all play a role in behaviors associated with dementia and really getting a solid non-pharmacologic plan in place. I call it a contingency plan. So when we start to wean antipsychotics, if we have increasing behaviors, we have a contingency plan in place that can be utilized. So we don't need to call an on-call physician to get another uh, PRN antipsychotic medication. So it's a really good idea to communicate this plan with the family to let them know, look, we have a plan in place so we can safely wean these antipsychotics. They carried a black box warning uh, in individuals who have dementia. So they typically, the risks outweigh the benefits. So it's really a good idea to encourage sharing of this plan and then also to involve the physician in talking to the family. Here is another question for you, Dr. Storm. We have one physician in our facility who is consistently late seeing residents and performing federally mandated visits more than 10 days late and is often difficult to contact in the evenings and on the weekends for resident issues. What steps should we take to solve this issue? So I think often in long-term care facilities, staff is reluctant to really hold the medical director accountable for their responsibilities. And that really needs to be done. Uh, the federal tag F841 describes the responsibilities of the medical director. And one of these responsibilities is to organize and coordinate physician services. So your medical director is essentially the manager for all of your nurse practitioners, other physicians, that medical director is responsible for overseeing the care of the other physicians in the building. If a attending physician in the building is unable to perform their duties, then the medical director has to step in and that is part of their job. 
So if another physician isn't providing services, the medical director then is responsible for talking to that other physician to make sure that they understand what the guidelines are for federally mandated visits in a nursing facility and, you know, telling them what the grace period is and letting them know that they're responsible for taking their calls after hours. And then if that physician cannot perform their duties, then the medical director needs to step in and um, take over that physician's responsibilities. Okay, thank you. And we have one more question that was submitted in advance. And after this, we'll start taking the questions that were submitted today in the chat and the Q&A. So this question says, I have seen Quality Insights has been advertising that they can help nursing homes with staffing retention and the hiring process to assist with my staff turnover. Can you please tell me more about this? That's a great question. Uh, I can answer it. Um, Quality Insights has um, an exciting new uh, comprehensive course that involves three series of events over three-month periods. Um, And it does have CEs. It does cover hiring, retaining, and engaging employees uh, for the nursing home. Uh, The course currently is um, active and filled up quite quickly. Uh, The second launch of it will be in July of 2023. Uh, We're planning on at least doing three series just for this year and may continue to do those in 2024. Uh, You can sign up for the second uh, cohort by emailing the course developer. Her name is Amy Porter, and we will put her email in the chat for you. Or you can, of course, uh, contact one of your QI specialists with Quality Insights, and they can assist you. Um, If you have any questions about that, please feel free to reach out. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Christopher. So I put her email in the chat. It's aporter at qualityinsights.org. And now we'll start taking a look at your questions. Um, There was a question submitted in the chat earlier. It says, please discuss the new PA regulations related to residents with substance use disorder. Do you believe all facilities should train staff on this change, even if we don't typically get residents with SUD? So um, we've all been trying to find the, the regulation here quickly. I know where it is, I just cannot get the link to to bring up so that we can all look at that. So I think we're all going to kind of tag team this answer. And I think the the one important thing that I would say to this is that even though you may not say that you take um, a resident that has a substance abuse disorder, we, we know too often that many times people don't always admit to using substances. So I do think that educating staff on the signs and symptoms of what to watch for um, is important to do, at least on an annual basis. Um, You may not do the screening, you may not do some of the other pieces, um, but you still want to know what are the signs and what are you looking for so that you can accurately complete that assessment and notify their physician that's covering them there. I do know that there is, um, and and maybe one of the other team members here can help me out, but I do know that there is um, some work groups that are currently in process in regards to this particular topic. And I'm sure that we will be having more information coming out in the very near future on that as well. If anybody else has something they wanna add. I I agree, Deborah. I think that it's going to be a big focus in the next few years. So I think it's, if your medical director is, 
you know, involved in prescribing opioids, which I'm sure all of them are, then, you know, the CDC guidelines, the most recent CDC guidelines indicate that they should be thinking about screening for substance use disorder with any, if you're a prescriber of opioids. So I would certainly reach out to your medical director and say, listen, we're concerned about these new guidelines. Um, You prescribe opioids in the facility. Is there any way you could show us some resources to do some screenings? You know, what do you intend to be using as screenings again? I think it's really important to hold your medical director accountable. You know, they, they have a job, they have a responsibility in the facility. So I would encourage you to do so. Yeah, and Deb, I wasn't able to find the actual regulation either. Um, it's when you're scrambling to find this stuff. And we do. And of course, our person who who um, covers opioids for our task is is not here today. But I know that that is one of the areas that they're looking at because and, and the Pennsylvania regulation, just knowing kind of offhand that healthcare long term care facilities are considered nursing care facilities under the regulations that you have to be aware of substance use disorder. So even a lot of it used to be if you're a mental health facility, but now that also covers um, a healthcare facility. And of course, skilled nursing is under that. So you do have to make sure that you you are, even if it's not typically who you do um, admit, but there is a lot more emphasis on that with the opioids, with the substance use disorder, that you are, you do have those assessments in place that those, in case you do have someone come in, that you start with the basic education of, you know, how would you deal with something? And you can, they're, they're not at this point, I don't see specific regulations in Racine. Please feel free to, um, Oh, thank there, you. There, somebody told us it's it's <laughs> F tag five five seven. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and basically, because you don't know, even if you don't traditionally bring someone in, you don't know. As Deb and Jean both said, you don't know when someone might come in. So, you know, having those basics, it's sort of like, you know, having that basic education. I think in place would be really important. Um, the, the other thing that I'll add to that is as you're doing the screening, like um, Dr. Storm suggested, is even though you may not have a screening tool, whoever has your super user capacities for your electronic health record, have them go in and look to see if your um, electronic health record, such as Matrix or PCC or whoever you use, has added those screening tools. Because a lot of times those templates are right there in your EHR. You just have to activate them. So then you could look at that and see what they've already um, developed through their organization so that you can easily um, incorporate it into your assessments that you're doing. Yeah, and this is something we can do a little bit more research on too and get and get back to you. Um, but I would say, you know, start thinking about even if it's not your normal resident population, it is good to start thinking about the education. And we will definitely learn more about it and get back to you. All right. Thank you guys. Um, moving on to our next question in the QA. It says, we are conducting a call bell audit being answered timely. What would you all consider the definition of timely to be? I cannot find any times in Appendix PP 
it used to be within three to five minutes, but is that really practical? So yeah, that that really, um, to my knowledge, that is what Department of Health follows is that three to five. And I think we all can agree is that practical, you know, we all probably can agree not, but the the bottom line is that that is what they have always used as their standard. I also think the important thing when the surveyors are watching that call bell audit and you're watching that call bell audit is, is all the staff truly busy and not able to answer that call bell? Or are there any staff members, whether it's dietary housekeeping um, activities, walking by the call bell and not addressing it? So I think those are the things you have to look. But if if it's just sitting there and there's people sitting at the desk, they're not answering it, they're walking by it. I, I do think that they will stick to that three to five um, being um, an acceptable time frame to answer a call bell. Okay, thanks, Deb. And the last question that we have in here so far says, our facility is having issues trying to add the HPS component to report the flu vaccine. Can anyone provide some assistance on how to add this component? And I'd like to open this up um, to those that are on the call because this is a a component that um, we have not been able to access from our level to see what you're seeing. So if there's someone on the call um, that has access to this um, reporting system to do that, if, if you want to raise your hand and answer this question um, for us, we can do, that would be helpful. And if not, uh, whoever is um, your quality improvement specialist, we will get back to you individually. We do have a volunteer raising their hand. So uh, Amy, you are now able to unmute yourself. I'm not sure about the specificity of the question, but individually I'm able to access the resident's flu vaccine history online with the um, Pennsylvania database, but I don't know if she's asking about a cumulative annual report perhaps. So Amy, I think what she's asking is um, they have gone back to the annual employee flu vaccine reporting okay. being reported in the healthcare safety portal. It, yeah. We used there for a long time. We were, we were putting it right in NHSN, but they've taken out of there. Terry, I see you have your hand raised. Hi, I raised my hand, but I am not going to be any help at all. I, <laughs> I have been able to access it, but it was only by just playing around and pushing buttons until I actually was able to somehow get it. I have entered my data for the year um, and then I'll update it at the at the end of, of uh, March and April. But as I said, I if you offered me a million dollars, I couldn't sit here and tell you the step by step of how I did it. So it was just a matter of going through it. And um, when there's a drop down box in the very beginning, when you access NHSN, it, it comes up as whatever's there that has you entering your data for the, um, all the data that we have to enter weekly. There is another drop down box that you have to switch to that it will is where we enter the flu data. So I don't know if that's any help at all. And I apologize. I wasn't even going to raise my hand, but I just want to let you know, it can be done, but I'm not a hundred percent sure how. So well, I I did see that also, but I've been unable to go back to update it. So I am familiar with what she's saying, but also familiar with the concept that 
I can't get back to further update it as well. Okay, I will. And, as long as I know that it's in NHSN, that I can get into and I can play around. So we will we will absolutely get this because I know this was a question um, the last time we talked about this and we still have time to get that information submitted so that you have it submitted timely. So we will do our due diligence and get that researched and absolutely um, have that back, whether we put it in the last minute lowdown, whether we save time at the end of one of our sepsis webinars here coming up, um, but we will get you this information. Yeah, one one advantage we have with our with our grid cards is we can go in under test facility and play around and find things and not mess anything up. <laughs> so so yeah. we'll make sure that we go into NHSN on, under a test facility and find out where that stuff is so that we can let you know. And thanks for your input, though. That that's helpful. I think that gives me an idea of where where we need to go to. All right. So it looks like that's it for questions. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today, and I'd like to thank all of our panelists for joining us today again. We hope to see you all back here next week. You can check out our other interviews at qualityinsights.org/qin/multimedia.